Let's bow our heads in prayer. God, you've given us a great responsibility. We have free will. And so as we search the scriptures, I pray that you would help us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and to take your word seriously and apply it to our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray. need God's help in changing this evil world because we're at war. We have abortion and homosexuality, assault against the family, sex slavery, exploited children. We go on and on. Headline of religious news service, February 11th, 2020 says, states move towards abortion extremism and it's heating up into a cold war, a cold civil war. We believe Personally, that abortion is murder. And yet, 79% of the Episcopalians say it's all right to have an abortion. 65% of the Presbyterians are saying it's all right to have an abortion. The Methodist Church is 56%, and the Anglicans support legal abortion in almost all cases. 60 million babies have been aborted since Roe versus Wade. And yet this is not a physical war that we're fighting as Christians. We need spiritual help in fighting this spiritual war. Our text is from Ephesians, the sixth chapter, verses 10 through 18. In Ephesians 6 and verse 10, it says, Finally, building up your strength in union with the Lord and by means of his mighty power, put on all the armor that God gives you so that you will be able to stand up against the devil's evil tricks. For we are not fighting against human beings. And yet some people don't have that clear. You're not going to win this war by getting you an AR-15 and go fighting against the abortionists. And yet in history, the church has tried that. The Crusades, I hate to tell you, were not from God. 1.7 million people lost their lives in this so-called holy war. Only one out of 20 who left Europe to go fight in this war survived the trek towards Jerusalem. God never told those people to leave their homes to go fight the war anyway. The Spanish Inquisition killed tens of thousands of Jews and Muslims. We don't even know how many people were killed, according to Encyclopedia Britannica. On St. Bartholomew's Day, 3,000 Protestants were killed in Paris alone, and 70,000 people in France were killed on St. Bartholomew's Day, and it was supposed to be a holy thing. You say, well, that's not me. I, I was a Protestant. We're Protestants, and we didn't have anything to do with that. You're no better if you claim to be a Protestant. There was a man in history by the name of Zwingli, the reformer who taught that we're saved by election by God and by faith alone. Felix Mance was a priest that was converted to the Anabaptists. He was in Zurich, Germany. He rejected infant baptism along with the other Anabaptists. And he taught that adult baptism after faith was necessary for salvation. So you know what Zwingli did? They drowned him. They baptized him all right. They never let him out of the water. 
And many others were drowned because they believed baptism was necessary for salvation, and many were burned at the stake. So Zwingli is responsible in history. This is the father of Protestantism. 50,000 people were slaughtered because they believed that baptism was necessary for salvation. I'm neither Catholic nor Protestant, but I'm just a follower of Christ. And I'm asking you this morning to do the same thing. You just be a Christian because if not, we have to own our past. You have to own that if you claim to be either Catholic or Protestant. But if I'm a Christian, I can say I am a member of Christ and Jesus never did any of all that stuff. Our spiritual fight, again, is not against humans. None of that in the past was of God. But again, the wicked spiritual forces in heavenly places are out to fight God's people. If you uh, look up the meaning of all those different things it says are against us, the spiritual forces in the heavenly world, it's referring to demonic rulers and authorities and cosmic powers during this dark age, chief rulers and magistrates, uh, satanic forces. It's hard to describe things we don't know anything about. Darkness, non-human forces, forces who maliciously are out to destroy us. And so there are those in the unseen world that want to see you go straight to hell because that's where they're going. They want to see me go to hell because that's where they're going. So the Bible says we need to put on the full armor of God. That when the evil day comes, or the day of battle, you'll be able to resist the enemy and his attacks. And after fighting the end, you will still be able to stand your ground. We must do everything we can do as a Christian to fight this enemy. And doing all we can means we have to rely on God's power. We can't fight the devil by ourselves. David said... Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Again, this is not a physical war, but we need to be trained by God in order to fight this demonic war. Therefore, my beloved brethren, Philippians 2, 12 says, as you've, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but also in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I want to go to heaven, don't you? And so it doesn't matter what our forefathers did. I have the responsibility to look at this book and try to do what it says, and we ought to pray, so help me God, that I do the right thing. It says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work his good pleasure, so stand ready with the truth as a tight belt around your waist. So he says, the first thing you have to do in fighting this war, is you have to be true. You have to be honest. You have to be sincere. You have to be real. You can't convert anybody to Christ if you're a fake. And I know a lot of people who claim to be Christians that are no more Christians than an old donkey out in the field. They just aren't. And you know they aren't. And we're not going to change this world. You're not going to affect somebody who believes in abortion or homosexuality or anything else if we're not real Christians. We have to be true. We have to be honest, sincere. The devil knows hypocrites, and you can't be a hypocrite. There was a transgender girl interviewed. She was about 12, but her dad's a big, famous football player. And so he was saying, this is such a wonderful thing. My daughter's come out, and, 
And uh, she said she has to be true to herself. So maybe we need to qualify this truth thing. Ephesians 4.19 says they've become callous, given themselves over to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of immorality. But that's not how you learn in Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So your truth has to be the same as Jesus' truth. You need to be able to look in the mirror and say, I am a child of God, and I'm doing the best I can, although I'm messing up because I'm human, I'm doing the best I can to be a real Christian and to do what I know is right. The next thing he talks about in verse 7 is righteousness as your breastplate. The kingdom of God, Romans 14, 17 says, is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness has to do with justification and the forgiveness of sins. You can't fight the devil if your sins are not forgiven. If we're still under the power of the devil, how in the world can we fight somebody we're on the same team with? That's not something that you can accomplish by yourself. Your righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6. You can't be good enough to fight against the devil, and neither can I. We're not good enough in our own righteousness. Our debt has to be paid by someone who is righteous, and we need to put on his righteousness. So when the devil sees us, he sees Jesus, and he sees us without sin. Ephesians 4.24 says, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. For you are in Christ Jesus, and you are sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We put on the righteousness of Christ, Galatians 3 says, when we have faith and we're baptized we put on Christ. Now we go to the shoes. Ephesians 6.15. Your shoes are the readiness to announce the good news of peace. Now we're talking about our armor. We're not talking about us going out and being preachers here. Actually, it's telling us that if you don't have a peace in your life, if you're not at peace with God, how in the world are you going to fight a world of sin. The Roman military sandals had nails that gripped the ground firmly when the ground was sloping or slippery. I don't know if, how many of you were in the military, but how would you like to wear those shoes for your stock military shoes? That's what they used. Those were Roman soldiers' um, sandals, and they had nails in the bottom, uh, sort of like football cleats perhaps, so they could stand with, with uh, firmness and fight. To fight the evil in this world, our minds have to be at peace. We have to possess the peace that comes through only obedience to the gospel of peace. Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected, and I know that when I die, if I'm covered by his blood, I'm going to heaven. If you don't know you're going to heaven, how in the world are we going to fight the devil, and how are you going to influence anybody in this world? If you're not sure yourself that you're saved, how can you save anybody else? We have to have this peace. I have to know that if I died tonight, I would go to heaven. If you don't know that this morning, that if I died tonight, I would go to heaven, then we need to do something about it. We have to have assurance of salvation. 
Ephesians 6.16, it says at all times carry faith as a shield. For with it you will be able to put out all the burning arrows shot by the evil one. The Roman soldiers had two types of shield. They had the big tall ones like the riot police still use. They also had a little round one that some of the soldiers used that they could use to fight off and, and fend off uh, arrows. The, the enemy sometimes would put burning materials on the end of arrows and shoot them at you, and then you'd have oil and, and fire on your uh, shield that was made out of wood covered with leather and so on. And so you had to have a shield to protect yourself. Hebrews eleven six says, No one can please God without faith, for whoever comes to God must have faith that God exists and rewards those that seek Him. American churches are in trouble. We all know that. Why is that? Because they've thrown out the inspiration of the Bible. Well, the Bible is a good book, and Jesus was a good man, but you know, those are a lot of fairy tales, and we can't believe all that stuff. Then how in the world are you going to expect people to come listen to you preach about it every Sunday? doesn't make any sense. They've thrown out the idea of a virgin birth. Well, that's not scientific. They've thrown out, thrown out the resurrection. Well, that couldn't have happened. And they're failing terribly, and they're becoming social clubs without any disciplines at all. How in the world can we fight the devil if we don't have faith in Jesus and the Word of God that He's given us? No one can please God without faith, Hebrews eleven six 6 says. Whoever comes to God must believe that He is, and that He's going to reward those that follow Him. If you don't know and believe that you're going to heaven, you are not going to fight the devil, and I'm not either. Why bother? It's all a story. Back in 2003, the Washington Post reported on the surge of baptisms among U.S. soldiers in Kuwait who were preparing to go to battle in Iraq. Some troops said this foxhole religion is critical to their preparation for war, saying it provides confidence they will be protected if called upon to fight and faith that their mission is just. Lance Corporal Matthew Hogan from California was one of those who was baptized back in 2003. He says, after today I feel more ready to cross the border into Iraq. This is better armor than anything the Marine Corps could give me. I feel better about myself than I ever have, and I know that God will look, be looking out for me. They wanted to be baptized into Christ before they went before this horrible enemy because that confidence gave them the confidence they needed to fight the enemy. Friend, if we aren't saved, if we don't know Jesus and don't have faith in eternity, then you don't have the confidence to face the enemy or to talk about Jesus ever. We've got to have that confidence. The devil sends thoughts like darts into our minds, thoughts of fear and of doubt, and these thoughts must be quenched. If we don't believe in God and a God who will set everything right one day, you're going to get discouraged. You're going to quit. You know, there's no justice. All those people get on TV and say, we want justice. That's a synonym for money a lot of times. But this world needs justice. Things are not right. And Jesus is someday going to set it straight. And because I believe that, I want to live for him. And so it says we need to accept salvation as a helmet. We belong to the day, 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 says, and we should be sober. We must wear faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. 
If we don't have the hope of salvation, we're leaving the most uh, vulnerable part of our body exposed. If you don't have this hope of salvation, we can't fight this war. And so I ask this morning, seriously and sincerely, do you have that hope? If Jesus comes this very hour, or if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? Have we done what the early Christians did to be saved? We have several salvation stories in the history book of the early church, the book of Acts. Everything I'm preaching about this morning you can find in Britannica Encyclopedia or the book of Acts. We're talking now about the book of Acts, the history book of the New Testament church. We have those who were saved on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. We have the Samaritans who were saved in Acts chapter 8. We have the eunuch who was saved in Acts chapter 8. We have Saul who was saved. That story is in Acts chapter 9 and in Acts chapter 22. We have Cornelius who was saved in Acts chapter 10. We have Lydia, who was saved in Acts chapter 16. We have the jailer, the Philippian jailer, who was saved in Acts chapter 16. We have the Corinthians, who were saved in Acts chapter 18. And we have the Ephesians, who were saved in Acts chapter 19. Acts is not a very big book, and you can read that in just a couple of hours. But you'll find out that every one of these conversions, they were all saved by a combination of five different things. Faith and baptism, repentance and baptism, faith and baptism and the receiving of the Holy Spirit, faith and confession, baptism and confession. And so we can find five different things these people all participated in to be saved. Second Peter 3.9 says salvation comes through repentance. Romans 10.9 and 10 says salvation comes from confession. Titus 3.5 says salvation comes through repentance. 1 Peter 3.21 says the baptismal waters save us. Romans 8, 9 says, you're not saved unless you have the Holy Spirit. And so we have those five things, repentance, confession, repentance, baptism. I should have said faith on the first one, I'm sorry. On the third one, rather. Repentance, confession, faith, baptism, and the Holy Spirit. My type, typing uh, skills are not always good here. So five components. And all five of these took place in these conversions on the same day. For example, if we were to interview a young man by the name Isaac on April the 5th, AD 49. Let's go there, pretend if you will with me. And so we interview Isaac and we say, Isaac, do you remember the day that you were converted? And Isaac would say, oh yes. I remember clearly Barnabas preached about sin and I was convicted that I was a sinner. I repented of my sins and I became a Christian. The next day on Tuesday the 6th, AD 49, someone interviewed Isaac again and said, Isaac, do you remember the day you were converted? And he would say, oh yes, I remember clearly Barnabas preached about the Messiah and so I confessed that Jesus is Lord and I became a Christian. 
The next day, April the 7th, 49, Isaac being interviewed again, Isaac, do you remember the day that you were converted? And he would say, oh yes, I remember. I remember clearly, Barnabas taught about the grace of God and the gospel, and I trusted by faith the grace of God, and I became a Christian. Thursday, April the 8th, year 49, interviewing Isaac again, Isaac, do you remember the day that you were converted? Oh yes, I remember clearly that Barnabas preached that I needed to be washed in baptism, and I was baptized on that day, and I became a Christian. On Friday, April the 9th, year 49, Isaac, do you remember the day that you were converted? Oh yes, Barnabas preached about being born again of the water and of the Spirit, and I was baptized in water, and I was regenerated. I was born again by the Holy Spirit. I want you to listen up, and I'm going to tell you something because I love you. If I hit your toes, I'm aiming at your heart. But there are some red flags that ought to make you worried about your salvation. If you were baptized as a baby and were expected to receive faith several years later, that is not found in one of the Bible examples of conversion. Not one. In fact, there's not one story in the Bible of a baby ever being baptized into Christ. Not one. The closest example we have is in Acts. When it talks about the Philippian jailer, it says his household was baptized. And so people say, you see there, that included the babies. The problem is the same text says they believed first. We don't have a record of anybody being baptized as a baby. You see, in the Bible, all those things happen on the same day. If you were saved, and several days later, weeks or months later, and then you were baptized, that also is foreign to all Bible examples of conversion in the book of Acts. Let's go on to the next one. The Word of God is a sword which the Spirit gives us. And then it talks about prayer, Ephesians 6, 18. Do all this in prayer. Asking for God's help. Pray on every occasion as the Spirit leads. For this reason, keep alert and never give up. Pray always for all God's people. We have two offensive weapons, and that is we have the Bible, the sword, and we have prayer. I believe in prayer. I've seen prayers answered. I am standing here because a church gathered in an emergency room and prayed for me. And so I believe that prayer is a powerful weapon. We're not standing out here uh, fighting this war of evil by ourselves. We have the Holy Spirit, we have the Word of God, and we have prayer. We need to pray for our government, we need to pray for our society, that they will stop killing babies, and that homosexuality is shown as something that's deviant and foreign to Scripture. You need to have enough nerve at your your break times at, at school or at work, when they're talking about stuff like this, to stand up and say something. Because we're in a battle, and that's not right. We need to pray for our country and for the lost. And we need to use the Word of God to preach the truth. Prayer works. Jesus was in the wilderness, and what did he do? When the devil was after him, he prayed, and he also quoted Scripture. 
in Daniel, when Daniel prayed to God in the 10th chapter, he prayed to God and Michael the archangel, who's one of the greatest heavenly beings besides the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, was withheld by Satan himself so that he couldn't answer a prayer. But eventually the prayer was answered. There is a battle going on, and we need to do as Daniel and pray. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you will be healed. The prayer of a good person has a powerful effect. Elijah was the same kind of person as we are. He prayed earnestly, there be no rain, and no rain fell for three and a half years. So you can pray and stop it from raining. Elijah did. You know what? This morning, eternity is a long, long time. I want to get it right, don't you? We need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. The saddest words in the Bible to me are found in Jeremiah 8.20. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we're not saved. Or in Acts 26.27, when Paul talking to King Agrippa, he said, You believe in the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa answered, I'm almost persuaded to be a Christian. But to be almost persuaded to act upon our faith is to be totally lost. And there's another sad story. In Acts 24, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jew. He sent for Paul and listened to him as they talked about faith in Christ. But as Paul went on discussing about goodness and self-control and the coming day of judgment, Felix was afraid and said, go your way for now. And when I have a more convenient time, I'll call back for you. But history says... Felix never called back. King Agrippa was only almost a Christian. If you're already a Christian, ask yourself this. Have you taken this battle seriously? Do you realize the evil that we're up against as Christians in this world? Have we done the best as soldiers to get our family and our friends out of this lost world and save for the world to come? This has always been convicting to me whenever I read about it, whenever I watch the movie. This conversation from Schindler's List about rescuing the Jews who were doomed to destruction at the hands of the Nazis. You know, he was in the same place that we are. And I wonder if this is going to be us at judgment, saying I could have, I could have done more as a soldier. Oscar Schindler said, I could have got more out. I could have got more. I don't know if I just, I could have got more. Iska Stern said, Oscar, there are 1,100 people who are alive because of you. Look at them. And Oscar said, if I'd made more money, I threw away so much money. You have no idea if I'd, Iska said, there'll be generations because of what you did. But Oscar said, but I didn't do enough. Iskar said, you did so much. Oscar said, this car. Goth would have bought this car. Why did I keep this car? Ten people right there, ten more people could have been saved. Oscar said, this pen, two people. This is gold, two more people. 
he would have given me two for it. At least one, one more person for this. I could have gotten one more person and I didn't. I hope that as Christians we'll take this war seriously and realize I can do more. I've got to do more because the world is in such a bad place. We're going to stand and sing and I hope that this week you'll be more convicted to do what we need to do. Everyone needs compassion, love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, kindness of a Savior, the hope of nations. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. Is mighty to save forever, author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we are thankful for Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. We're thankful for his grace and mercy new every morning so that we can have the hope of changing our lives as long as we're alive. Lord, help us be right with you. Help us to be assured that if we die tonight, we would go to heaven and be with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Even when I couldn't see